So good morning, listeners, and welcome to Come and See Inspiration. It's been produced here in our Come and See studio here in Ada. And this, the 1st of December, it's the first Sunday in Advent. And Shane, that's a cue for you to wish us all... A Happy New Year, John. <laughs> Happy New Year, just to confuse people. Now, before we confuse people completely, it is, of course, the start of the liturgical year. Okay, Shane, thanks a lot for joining us this morning. Thanks a lot for that piece of information. Okay, so as Shane said, uh, Happy New Year to everybody and welcome again to another edition of Come and See Inspirations. As I said, my name is John Keeley, joined by Shane Ambrose on the other end of the Skyplane. And at this stage, of course, most importantly, that is that we welcome our listeners who are housebound and those who are lonely and struggling, as we say, every week. We know you're out there because we meet them, we hear from you from time to time, and we know you support us in prayer. Thanks for staying with us. It's a joy to have you with us, and hopefully you'll be able to get something from the programme this morning. Uh, in part two of the programme, uh, also I should be joined by Father Frank Duick, uh, where we're going to reflect a little bit on Advent, and also um, we're going to reflect uh, on the Sunday Gospel, the first Sunday in Advent. But in the meantime... Just to remind people again, this programme is being broadcast on Sacred Space at West Limerick 102 FM. That's at 10am and 11pm each Sunday and is available for playback and download at Come and See Inspirations. If you just Google Come and See Inspirations, it'll actually come up. Come and see inspirations.buzzbread.com is a full title. And also Sacred Space 102.blogspot.com. You can also get access to all of our old programmes there. And also uh, Spotify. So, going back for for the past 11 years, uh, sacredspace102.blogspot.com, come and see inspirations in spite of our more recent programs. If you want to contact us at all, and please do so, our Gmail is sacredspace102 at gmail.com. A text or WhatsApp, 087-6088-667. That's 087-6088-667. Please do drop us a line every now and again, a comment about the programme as to what you enjoy about the programme. Maybe some things that you might like us to add uh, to the programme and maybe people we should have on the programme to inspire us. You can do that. Text us 87 Or you can email us and that's in sacredspace102 at gmail.com. Now, as usual, Shane will share some saints for the week coming up for us. Yes, thanks, John. So, as you said at the top of the program, it's the first week in Advent, so we're starting a new liturgical year. So we partly mentioned it last week, uh, but for those that are um, at home and might be listening in or are following um, masses on from parish radios, um, so the, it's um, and you're looking at your Sunday missal, so it's cycle A is what we're following for the Sunday readings for this year. So we're going to be journeying throughout the liturgical year with Saint Matthew. Uh, for those that are praying the Psalter, we're on week one. And of course, because it's the start of the new liturgical year, we're starting with volume one of the Divine Office. We're back to the beginning again and starting afresh. So Sunday, as we said, is the first Sunday of Advent. So Monday, the 2nd of December, it's the feast day of St. Bibiana. Now, an unusual one, Bibiana or Viviana, otherwise known as Viviana, I should say. Uh, she is an early saint of the 4th century in Italy. And her parents, uh, her father was a saint, St. Flavian, and her mother, Dafrusa, And they were both martyred in the persecutions of Julian the Apostate, who was one of the Roman emperors 
uh, who returned to the worship of the old Roman gods after the Christianization of uh, the Roman Empire. Um, Vivian or, and her sister Demetria were turned over to uh, a madame who wanted to work with them to work in prostitution. They refused to do it, and eventually she was imprisoned in a madhouse, is what has described, and then she was flogged to death. So she died around 361, and she has a number of patronages which may be of interest to people. So she's patron saint for those that suffer from epilepsy, headaches, uh, mental illness. And for those that may be particularly delicate this morning, she's also the patron saint of those with hangovers. So that is Saint Bibiana. So Tuesday, the 3rd of, <coughs> excuse me, Tuesday, the 3rd of December is the feast day of Saint Francis Xavier, one of the first seven Jesuits, one of the companions of uh, Ignatius of Loyola, and was sent to India by Saint Ignatius. He converted in many in what is Goa, which was in Portuguese India. And later on, he went on to Japan and he died just before he was supposed to start his missionary work in China. Obviously, because of that, he's one of the patron of the missions. Now, Francis Xavier is one of these poor unfortunates. There's bits of him all over the planet. Um, there's some of him in Rome. There's parts of him in, in Goa and there's more parts of him in Japan in terms of relics of the poor man. Uh, so that's Francis Xavier, whose feast day we celebrate on the 3rd of December. So the 4th of December, it's the feast day of St. John Damascene. Now, John is an unusual kind of one. He is what is called one of the last of the Greek fathers of the church. So the, the fathers of the church, um, or doctors of the church, well, sorry, the fathers of the church, first of all, these would have been the writers and of the, uh, and uh, after the apostles, uh, up until around kind of 800 AD. And he's also known as one of the doctors of the church because he defended the use of icons in liturgy. So at the time, there was a big uh, campaign, the iconoclasts, they were called, and they were taking the view that icons and imagery uh, for the purposes of religion was not allowed. They were taking a very strict interpretation of the first, um, first of the commandments, the Ten Commandments. However, John Damascene was one of those. He was a Syrian Christian theologian, and he was a leading figure in the defense of icons during that controversy. And he died in 749 of natural causes. Then on Thursday, the 5th of December, we have the feast day of St. John Almond. Now, John is one of the 40 martyrs of England and Wales. Uh, um, he grew up in Ireland. He was educated in Reims in France and at the English College in Rome. And he was ordained in 1598. He returned to England as a home missionary. He was arrested in 1608 and 1612 for the crime of being a Catholic priest. And he was hung, drawn and quartered on the 5th of December in 1612 at Tyburn in London. Then on the 6th of December, we have one of the big feast days of the liturgical year. It is the feast day of St. Nicholas of Myra, otherwise known as Santa Claus. Now, obviously, um, it's a big feast day, actually, particularly on the continent, in particular places like Holland. This used, this was the day uh, where St. Nicholas is one of the patron saints of children. And it was on his, on his particular feast day that the gifts were exchanged for Christmas. So what we do in Ireland on the 25th, some countries in the continent, they do it on the 6th of December. St. Nicholas was a 4th century Bishop of Myra, which is in modern-day Turkey. 
And at the moment, his relics are believed to be at Bari in Italy. Now, his name might ring a bell because he lately, uh, some of his relics were actually loaned from the Basilica in Bari to Russia. Uh, Pope Francis approved them being loaned to the Russian Orthodox Church and the crowds, they came in their hundreds of thousands to venerate his relics because St. Nicholas is a very popular saint among the Orthodox faithful. Um, he's patron saint of uh, children and barrel makers. He's also the patron saint of repentant thieves. Uh, now, not thieves themselves, but those that want to return their plunder. And once upon a time, thieves were known as St. Nicholas's clerks or the Knights of St. Nicholas. And of course, if you're looking at iconography or pictures of St. Nicholas, he's often depicted with three golden balls, which of course are the symbol of the pawnbroker's shop. And of course, that goes back to the main, um, I suppose, a story that's associated with him, which is that there was a poor man, local poor man, who was going to prostitute his three daughters. And St. Nicholas gave him three bags of gold so that they would be able to afford their dowry. So that is some of the legends that are associated with St. Nicholas. It's a solemnity in the city of Galway, of course, because the Cathedral of Galway is dedicated to St. Nicholas. And finally, John, on the 7th of December, we have the feast day of St. Ambrose of Milan, bishop and doctor of the church, governor of the Roman province. And he it was the laity that assisted him being consecrated bishop at the time, uh, he's, even though he was not baptised. Very much known for his preaching and his writing. He converted and baptized St. Augustine of Hippo. Very much associated with the Diocese of Milan, which still has a, a rite or a liturgy associated with his name. And he's also the patron saint of beekeepers and domestic animals. Now, just one small point. Next Sunday is the 8th of December. And of course, by tradition, the 8th of December is the feast of the solemnity of the Immaculate Conception of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So normally in Ireland, the 8th of December is a holy day of obligation. However, this year it is not the case. Because the 8th of December falls on the second Sunday of Advent, the second Sunday of Advent takes precedence in the liturgical calendar. So therefore, we celebrate the solemnity of the Immaculate Conception of Mary on the 9th of December, and it is not a holy day of obligation this year because the feast has been transferred. So just to say that again, next Sunday, the 8th, is not the feast of the Immaculate Conception. It's transferred to the Monday. And this year on the liturgical calendar, it is not a holy day of obligation. Obviously, John, as it is the first week of the month, we also give account of the Pope's intentions for this month. And so for the month of December, the prayer intention for the Holy Father is that we pray for every country may determine to take the necessary measures to make the future of the very young, especially those who suffer, a priority. So praying for the youth um, uh, of the world, which is the Pope's intention for the month of December. First Friday, of course, is the 6th. First Saturday is the 7th for those who maintain the devotions. So just one notice to bring to listeners' attention this morning. Um, Father Luke McNamara from Glenstall Abbey advised us of this year's series of talks taking place in the uh, in the Glenstall Abbey uh, Library at 4:30 each Sunday. So starting today, the first talk will be uh, the the talk will be uh, entitled "Stay Awake, the Lord is Coming," and this will be given by Dr. Jesse Rogers. Next week, the 8th of December, the talk will be given by Father Luke McNamara. And this one is entitled Discovering Our Roots, Jesus' Family Tree. And then the 15th, two weeks' time, um, 
the talk will be given by Father Cuthbert Brennan, entitled Joseph, Guardian of the Mystery of the Word. And 3 p.m. next Sunday, the 8th of December, there is a, a, a carol service. Um, and this will be held in the Abbey Church at 3 p.m., followed, of course, again by the talks. Well worth attending myself. And then we were there last year for the carol service. Beautiful. So again, that's in Glenstall Abbey, the Advent Talks, 4.30 p.m., the 1st, the 8th, and the 15th in the library there in Glenstall, and the carol service at 3 p.m. I'd like to just share a reflection this morning on the Advent wreath and candles. On the first day of Advent, Catholic families will set up an Advent wreath, a wreath of greenery adorned by a set of four candles, typically Three violet-coloured, one rose-coloured to match the priest's vestments, and each of the days the candles are lit. The wreath is either set upon a table or on the family altar. The candles can be long, slim tapers, small votives or fat pillar candles. There can be pine cones and such adorning greenery, but because Advent is a penitential season, it shouldn't be highly decorated with colourful ornaments. The circular shape of the wreath is a symbol of eternity, and the greenery symbolises hope and renewal. The colours of the typically used violet and rose candles symbolise penance and joy, respectively. Each candle also represents one of the four weeks of Advent, and 1,000 years of the 4,000 years that passed between Adam and Eve to Christ's coming. The first candle also recalls the patriarchs. The second candle recalls the prophets. The third candle recalls St John the Baptist, and the final candle recalls Our Lady. If coloured candles are used, the violet candles are lit on the first, second and fourth Sundays of Advent, and the rose candle is lit on the third Sunday, Gaudate Sunday, when the priest also wears rose vestments at Mass. A day of rejoicing because the faithful have arrived at the midpoint of Advent and anticipate Christmas. In any case, whether coloured or white candles are used, one more candle is lit each week at dinner time, and progressively lighting of the candle symbolises the expectation and hope surrounding our Lord's first coming into the world, and the anticipation of his second coming to judge the living and the dead. The candles are kept burning throughout the Sunday supper, and then immediately blown out afterwards. The candles, of course, can be replaced and green and refreshed as needed. At midnight on Christmas Eve, the Advent wreath is replaced by a white Christ candle that is suitably adorned with holly or being carved with symbols of Christ, etc. This Christ candle is used until Epiphany or Candlemas, dependent upon the family's particular Christmas customs. The greenery of the Advent wreath can now be decorated and turned into a Christmas wreath for use throughout the Christmas season. So that's a little bit about the Advent wreath and candles. So now we go for our first bit of music. I was looking around for something to see, something connected with Advent and maybe Advent candles, and I found this one. It's uh, it's entitled uh, One Candle Lit, and it's by Dean Phelps. So listen, listen to this, and please join us again in part two. Come surely, Lord Jesus, as dawn follows night, our hearts long to greet you as roses the light. 
salvation draw near us, our vision in cage. One candle is lit for the hope of the age. Come quickly, shalom, teach us how to prepare for a gift that compels us with justice to care. Our spirits are restless till sin and war cease. One candle is lit for the reign of God's peace. Come festively sing while awaiting the birth. Join angels in dancing from heaven to earth. Wave banners of good news, lift high thankful praise. One candle is lit for the joy of these days. Come wander where lion and lamb gently play, where evil is banished and faith takes the day. A babe in a manger to fool the world's eyes, one candle is lit for God's loving surprise. Listen, the sounds of God with us ring clear, and signs of a cross in the distance appear. The Word once made flesh, yet the Word ever near. One candle is lit for the Christ birthday So welcome back again to the second part of Come and See Inspirations. My name is John Keeley. So at this part of the programme, um, second part of the programme, this being the first Sunday in Advent, um, I asked Father Frank Duick again, I must be fed up with me at this stage, but I asked Father Frank Duick to come back and join us again um, to share some thoughts on Advent. Good morning, Father Frank. Morning, John. Thanks a lot for coming back again. You're welcome. So Advent, where would you like to start with Advent, Father? Well, I suppose the word uh, Advent, uh, John, comes from the Latin word Adventus, meaning an arrival or a coming. So what is the arrival? What is the coming that Advent talks about? Well, I suppose to come to get it a bit more, there are two comings. First, we recall the coming of Jesus in the Nativity. And obviously that is what uh, Christmas is about. And we will have, in the course of Advent, readings from the Old Testament, the prophecies of the coming of the Messiah that the Jewish people waited so expectantly for. These prophecies are known as the Messianic prophecies. And it is interesting, John, the detail we find about the birth of Jesus that didn't happen until hundreds of years later. Those prophets were definitely inspired. Now, I said earlier, John, that the season of Advent uh, deals with two comings. The first, the one I've mentioned, the Nativity. Now, the second 
coming I want to talk about is the coming of Jesus at the end of time. It's not just that I want to talk about it. That's what Advent talks about. The coming of Jesus at the end of time to judge us all. And that is sometimes referred to as the second coming uh, or the final coming. It is the coming we refer to in the creed when we say he will come again to judge the living and the dead, that part of the Apostles' Creed. So in our liturgy during Advent, we have readings, as I've said, covering the prophesying of the birth of Jesus, and we have readings referring to the coming of Jesus to judge the world, to judge all of us at the end of time. Now, when the readings take us back to the prophecies of the birth of Jesus, our Savior, that is not intended to bring us back to a past which is gone. That's the temptation to listen to it in that way. On the contrary, it is meant to enlighten us about the present. The voice of the prophets still today calls us to conversion, to watchfulness, to understanding. It says to us again, the Lord is coming. He is at hand. It calls on us to welcome him now. So, John, if someone is coming that we look forward to, what do we do? We wait, if we are to use the language of the liturgy, in expectant hope. Father Frank, at this point maybe you can maybe speak to us a little bit about this waiting, this waiting dimension of, of Advent. Yes, John, uh, a very important dimension of Advent is the, the whole notion of uh, waiting. I've heard the waiting aspect of Advent referred to as the mystery of waiting. When it comes to celebrating this mystery of waiting, we can have a problem today, I believe, because most people don't like waiting. Waiting and its value is, as I say, a bit of a mystery to us. Um, while to many in today's crazy, fast-moving world, waiting is a waste of time. Why can't we get on with it? Waiting, weren't we long enough waiting? No more waiting. We'll have high-speed broadband and so forth. We're all familiar with those comments. Waiting, in the scriptural sense, is a mystery. God waits. How often, John, have we heard people say it will happen in God's own time? An acknowledgement that there are some things we can't rush. For example, John, an expectant mother still has to wait for her baby's birth. So God waits, nature waits. So when we as individuals wait, what we're really doing is going beyond ourselves and entering into a sacred, life-giving process in which God and nature are involved. We all know nature won't be rushed either. When we wait, we are in touch <clears throat> with an essential aspect of our humanity, maybe one we don't like, which is that we are dependent on God and on one another. In other words, sometimes we have to wait. So Advent and Advent waiting are, if you like, if I could use the expression, John, stitched into the whole unveiling of God's plan. So where does that leave us in this busy four weeks starting this weekend? 
Yeah, busy. It, it leaves us, John, I think, with much to ponder and perhaps with a decision to make. A decision maybe to take stock. Maybe a decision to allow ourselves to be deprogrammed. We should note, John, that in Advent, the dominant liturgical colour, that is, the priest's vestments, etc., is purple. The penitential colour used in Advent and Lent. So Advent calls for penance. The Greek word metanoia, meaning literally a change of heart. That is what penance is. Now, Father Frank, could you say a little bit more about that penitential side of, of Advent for us, please? Yes, John. While we're very used to the notion of Lent as a penitential season, perhaps we do not think so much of Advent in that regard. Um, so when I say that we may have to make a decision in that there may be a need to change in how we prepare for Christmas. And when I say that, it is very much in line with Advent as a penitential season, that is, a change of heart type of time. You see, John, in addition to recalling the first coming of Jesus and looking ahead to the second or final coming, there is another coming, if you like, and that is a coming of Jesus into our hearts. And I heard it put one time, John, that the manger that has to be prepared by us for the coming of Jesus is the manger of our hearts. And that is where the penitential aspect, the change of heart aspect comes in as we do a bit of spring cleaning, if you like, of our hearts uh, by looking into them for signs of things that should not be there and try to get rid of them. So that brings confession then fitting perfectly into Advent. In that sense, Advent then is a penitential season. But penance should never be seen as a drudgery, as an end in itself, as a negative thing. It is meant to make us better. If we change our heart for the better, and this has brought out this, this more positive side of uh, Lent, John, is brought out um, by uh, both Lent and Advent, is brought out by having a Sunday halfway through both Advent and Lent, where the church calls on us to rejoice in the middle of a penitential season. Now, in Advent, that is Gaudete Sunday. It'll be the third Sunday of Advent, and we'll wear different color vestments that day. Mm-hmm. It's Gaudete Sunday, Rejoice Sunday. And then in Lent, which is the fourth Sunday of Lent, we have what's called Letare Sunday, Be Happy Sunday. Thanks for that, Frank. There's a few little observations there again, if you don't mind, just just want to pick them up. Just staying with that last one, that penitential, that, that penance side of it. You know, and, and and combine that with with Laudate Sunday or Gaudete Sunday. Is it for Advent? We we've got this penit this penitential period, and then we've got this rejoicing day. Yeah. Well, I suppose we uh, we don't like penance, no. uh, John, and we don't like having to change. No. 
we, we do things and we do them the way we like to do them and if anyone asks us to change that's difficult so it would be very easy for us to kind of be going through a penitential season <clears throat> to see this as a negative kind of drudgery yeah. mm. but Leitare Sunday or Gaudete Sunday, Rejoicing Sunday, in the middle of each of the penitential seasons, they say, I know it's difficult, okay. but this is for a very good purpose. There's good news at the end of the road. Okay. One more thing now that, that just struck me there and reminded me again, when you mentioned about the prophets and all this prophesizing was done hundreds and maybe thousands of years mm. before the coming of Christ. We sometimes miss that, but it comes to the fore during the Advent season if we ever get a chance to listen to the first readings. Isn't that right? That's right, yeah. You know, very much. And, 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 and we should stop and think about that, especially people that are kind of doubting Thomases, you know, about the scripture. I mean, it, it is quite amazing that some of these readings, there were hundreds of years, and as you say, maybe thousands mm. of years before Jesus came, and how accurate they were. Mm. A baby wrapped in swaddling clothes will be found in a manger, and, you know, what, it's, it is it's, amazing. It's extraordinary. And people should stop and think. One of the things that went through my own mind there, Father Frank, when, when, when I was just preparing for this for this programme, was uh, preparing for Christmas. And I was just looking around to see what, what came up for myself and just a few little things that came up. One thing that I read early on today was how to prepare for Christmas. And think about it this way. We prepare for everything we consider important in life. We wouldn't show up for a football game unless we'd, we'd done some training. We wouldn't show up unprepared to give a big presentation and work and expect to get the project, etc., etc., etc. And it's not saying that we shouldn't prepare, that, that we, we are to prepare for Christmas, but the, the writer goes on to say they don't mean preparing a, a typical Christmas preparation, buying, wrapping presents and baking cookies and so on. Yeah, these things have to be done. But what the writer says, and this is the one that they got me, it's talking about me preparing me when was the last time that I prepared my heart for the coming of Jesus at Christmas? <clears throat> we prepare for everything else in life, Father Frank. Isn't that right? All, all these important things. And yet, God, God's Son came down on earth and we got a chance to have this person come into our hearts and we kind of don't do too much preparation about it. And uh, might... That's right. And, and um, <clears throat> now, we're living in an age where things have gone very, to use that word, a word I don't like, professional. Mm-hmm. And, and preparation is normally very good and, and very, as I say, professional, mm-hmm. whether it is kids playing sport or that, you know. Mm. And, and that's, uh, people take that very seriously. And I notice with children, like kids are kids, mm. and I notice, like, you know, um, and if they're not able to come to Mass or to serve Mass or to be at their communion preparation Mass, they, I had training for them. They have no yeah. problem. Mm. I had to prepare. Yes. But, like, yes. the same sense of urgency of the preparation for something that's far more important, and I love the sport, yeah, and um, is uh, it seems to in a very secular world that we live in today can get lost, you know. And yet, I don't think there's that much work involved. It might mean just sitting there. Oh yeah, at the time just to try to stop and think and ponder. Allow God, allow the Holy Spirit to come. Exactly. Let, yeah. let him do and, all the work. We'll see a little bit of that when we come yeah, to talk about the gospel today. John. I might just just mention one more one more little thing uh, thing that here that I picked up from my friend Father Jack McArdle. And he makes this sort of response, and he said, It's vital for us to appreciate the wonderful gift of time. God is totally a God of the now. The only yes in my own life in which he is interested in is my yes now. Today is very unique and a special gift. Not everyone received that gift. Because it's a gift, 
Could that be why we call it a present? Written on the gifts are the words batteries included, which, which with each day comes the daily bread for living that life. And he, he goes on to say, did we ever reflect on the possibility that we might be walking around half asleep? The Advent liturgy called us to arise from the slumber. Quite a lot of me could be dormant. And if I died at this moment and God asked me, did you enjoy my creation? Would I have to admit that I never really took much notice of it? Oh, I travelled to other countries to admire the, to admire the scenery, but I may not have bothered too much about my own back garden. This day is very unique. It has never happened before. The same is true about Christmas. I can approach this Christmas as if it were the only such one-off occasion in my whole life, and that would make all the difference. And I just that last little sentence there, Father Frank, just got me. Am I finished with this? I can approach this Christmas as if it were the only such one-off occasion in my whole life, and that would make all the difference. Yeah, and, uh, and he's so right, and you're right, Father Jack, is a lovely way of putting things. He's, he's so right, like, you know, this Christmas is the only one that counts. It's the only right one that now. counts. Yeah. At this bit, uh, part of the programme now, we might go for our third piece of music at this particular stage, and this one, what else could we do? It's Okomokomi Emmanuel, and it's my King's College, Cambridge. So let's go with this and come back again and reflect on the Word of God in part three.
So welcome back again to the third part of Common Sea Inspirations. My name is John Keeley, still joined in studio here by Father Frank Dewey. And we come to the part of the programme, the most important part of the programme here, and any day, any Sunday, where we read and reflect on the Word of God. Before that, there's a prayer we always pray before reading and reflecting on Scripture, and I'll pray that this morning. Lord, we thank you for putting us in the presence of your Word, which you inspired in your prophets. May we approach this Word reverently, attentively and humbly. May we not despise this word, but receive all it has to say to us. We know that our hearts are closed, often incapable of comprehending the simplicity of your word. Send your spirit to us, so that receiving the word in truth and simplicity, our lives may be transformed by it. Let us not be resistant, Lord. May your word penetrate us like a two-edged sword. May our hearts be open to it. Let not our eyes be closed, nor our minds wonder, but may we give ourselves entirely to this listening. We ask this Father in union with Mary, who used to recite the Psalms, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So the Gospel for the first Sunday in Advent, taken from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, and verse 37 to 44, and Father Frank is going to pray that for us this morning. Thanks, Father. Jesus said to his disciples, As it was in Noah's day, so will it be when the Son of Man comes. For in those days before the flood, people were eating drinking, taking wives, taking husbands, right up to the day Noah went into the ark. And they suspected nothing till the flood came and swept all away. It will be like this when the Son of Man comes. Then of two men in the fields, one is taken, one left. Of two women at the millstone grinding, one is taken, one left. So stay awake because you do not know the day when your master is coming. You may be quite sure of this, that if the householder had known at what time of the night the burglar would come, he would have stayed awake and would not have allowed anyone to break through the wall of his house. Therefore, you too must stand ready, because the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Thank you for that, Father Frank. So that's the Gospel for the first Sunday in Advent. Share a few thoughts on that, please, for us, Father Frank. Yes, uh, John, I suppose just to, uh, a little bit of background there to explain a few of the references. You know, the, um, yeah. the days of Noah, referring back to the flood and uh, Noah's ark, obviously. I'll just read for you, John, a little short passage from the most prestigious commentary there is on the Gospels, the Jerome commentary. And this is what it says. It says, what it says about this reference in this passage, the warning about the deluge is significant. It does not say that men were sinning, but they were engaged in innocent secular preoccupations, eating, drinking, taking wives, taking husbands. Their sin was to give no thought to impending catastrophe. And the disciples are warned against that interest in secular business that makes them forget uh, the parousia. Uh, as was uh, living as if there's no tomorrow is another way of, uh, of putting yeah, it, it, you know. Yeah, um, it, yeah. Yeah. And, and of that storm of Noah and the flood from the book of Genesis, a, a very famous Protestant scholar, Barclay, uh, says... Noah prepared himself in the calm weather 
for the flood which was to come. And when it came, he was ready, but the rest of mankind were lost in their eating and drinking and marrying and so forth, caught completely unawares and swept away. Um, the verses, I, I think, John, are a warning never to become so immersed in time that mm. we forget eternity. Yeah, yeah. Because we are on a journey that leads into eternity. And, of course, the temptation is to become so immersed in the now, in the, in the limited, the, the time, um, the things that are in God's hands, and no matter how important what we are doing, we must be ever ready. We must never forget things that are in God's hands, and we have to keep our eye on that uh, dimension. No, just this, by way of uh, background as well, John, the little, um, the little parable that's there in the, in the um, second uh, part of our reading, there, the second uh, paragraph um, about, you know, two, what is it, um, you'd say, you'd, you may be quite sure of this, that the householder had known at what time, you know, the, the burglar would come and so forth. Um, the we must be ever ready, like like the batteries, ever yeah, ready. Yeah, yeah. And um, there's uh, the person that, you know, like, I suppose, John, it's really saying to us, this could come tomorrow. You know, and I mean, it's now we, we have been trained, if you like, in our Christian faith to, to live in this world with one eye on the next world. And I suppose that's what they, that's what that gospel is saying to us. But it it doesn't fit into our culture, does it really? It doesn't fit into our culture about thinking about the final end. It doesn't, you see, because we get so caught up in the in in the now, as it were, you know. Um, it, it doesn't fit into our culture at all to be preparing for this thing in the future. But some say, should that probably never come, you know? That's right. Yeah, that's the that's what you come up against today, you know. And they kind of said, you know, I'll just live this life as best I can and forget about this. And then, you know, I mean, it was mentioned there within that gospel there about Noah and the ark, you know. And yeah. I mean, the same story there. I mean, everybody thought. This guy is a bit of an idiot now, building a building a big ark and so on and so right, forth. That's you know? right, yeah, yeah, he was preparing yeah. himself. Yeah, and hey, presto, it happened. Yeah, and 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 we sometimes, you know, for some reason, we don't know what go anywhere mm. near it. Mm-hmm. No, a, a little image, uh, John, that I've seen used. It's not my own idea, no, but I've seen it at various times used about this whole thing of uh, eternity and that you know, like that we should. We should look at life not as on a straight line that we have to travel, but that the, a circle is, the, is a better image of life okay, yeah. for us because, and the circle starts and ends in the same place. Mm-hmm. So we come from God mm-hmm. and we are destined to go back to God. So that's an image that I think people might find helpful, you know, um, that to see your life as a circle. And then the whole notion of there's no end in the circle. The whole notion of eternity begins to fit a little bit more comfortably mm-hmm. with us, you know. So they, um, and, and another thought that I've seen about uh, this gospel is this, um, we mentioned earlier on, we we're talking about Advent, about the mm-hmm. first coming and the second coming, yeah. you know. Yeah. And the way they, they, that writer put it, uh, it's uh, Father Francis Maloney, a Salesian scripture scholar, and I was just reading it, uh, uh, you know, mm-hmm. uh, recently. And it said, our Christian life is lived between two special moments. 
the first coming of Christ, which we celebrate at Christmas, mm. and the final coming of Christ when our destiny will be uh, decided. Um, in relation to, to eternity, John, uh, uh, another little phrase, I think I might have used this at the Lexia Divina in the parish uh, last Monday, um, was that, you know, in relation to where we, where we go in eternity, God doesn't send us anywhere yeah. mm. when we die. Mm. And the way they put it was, he eternalizes the choices and the decisions that we make now. You know, it's a kind of a, in one sense, it's kind of a chilling thought, you know, but we, the picture of God that's, to me anyway, is very clear, and to most people nowadays, I think, clear from the Bible, is a God who desires to save us, a God, not a God who's trying to pounce on us. And uh, so God is not waiting to send us to some bad place. Uh, he's there to, as, it, it, as that little quotation said, he eternalizes the choices we make by trying our yeah, best yeah. to prepare for this uh, future. I love the phrase you just used there, and I think a lot of us maybe of our own, as you would say, our own vintage sometimes can't grasp. It is, it is God desires us. He desires us to be to be with him forever, as you said, to eternalise whatever we yeah, do. Yeah. And, and it's this thing, sometimes we get so frightened, you know, that maybe I'm not good enough or mm. I can't be bothered, but he's always there. I mean, the, 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 there's that image about him waiting, waiting at the door, you know, and, 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 and all we've got to do is just open up that door. We don't have to understand it. Just open up the door. Let him do the rest. Yeah, yeah. We sometimes think we, we have to know it all. We've got to know all the, all the scriptures and all the prayers and so on and so forth. No, just be there. Isn't that right? That, exactly. And that image you use about opening up the door, um, I don't know if we used this before on mm-hmm. one of these programs, mm-hmm. is that some of the early spiritual writers, the, the image they had was of a door um, uh, that is locked, but the hasp yes. for opening the door is on the inside. God doesn't force his way into anyone's mm-hmm. life. He, is, he wants to come in, but we have to turn that handle and let him in and invite him in, you know. And another thing about, about the gospel there today and the whole Advent thing is, is God, we, and it isn't just we moving towards God and searching for him. Mm-hmm. He's all the time coming towards us. Mm-hmm. Advent, the coming, the arrival of our God towards us. So God is searching for us as well as we searching for God, you know, so... There's a very positive image of God in the scriptures, and I think it's so, so important. And I'm not, I don't believe for one second that I'm running away from any central truth in the gospel there. Some of us were reared on a very frightening image of God. Yes. And yes. I, I can't find it. Mm-hmm. You know, of course there are mm-hmm. uh, scenes in the gospel and in the Bible, you know, where, the, where God punishes people and so forth. Mm-hmm. But the, the overwhelming picture that we get of God is a God who desires to save us. As you mentioned after to us there at Lectio, it's mm. like a parent with a child. Yes, exactly. It, very, it's not, it's not going to allow that child to yes, go and right. do something that would destroy that's that child right. forever. Exactly, yeah. And that's what Jesus does. That's and why, why won't a parent do that? Because of their love for the mm. child. Why won't God mm. do it? Because of his love for us. Exactly. Yeah, so... A final, a final word, maybe, um, maybe a word or two, if you like, for for those who were just starting off in Advent, weren't too sure about this season, what to show, what to do with it, and so on and so forth. What would you say to them? I suppose, like you know, Christmas is, you know, as you say, you asked me there earlier on about the, the four busy weeks ahead of us, like mm-hmm. you know, and um, like we have missed a golden opportunity. 
if as well as you know buying gifts for our friends and whatever you know if number one yeah. we, we, we have a, a campaign starting in the church now in Newcastle West shortly about uh, we'll have a banner up there at the front can we really think about Christmas without thinking of Trokra and what it stands for so I would say like that whatever do we're doing by way of preparing is to think of the poor the poor the poor the poor mm-hmm. and secondly from our own personal point of view it's a great time to look inside our hearts and see where can I be better. Beautiful and of course, focusing on the poor is one of the core ways of being better and being a bit less selfish. Father Frank, you mentioned the lecture, Davina, and we have to mention it here in the programme. Opportunity for you maybe to, to invite people, maybe those who might want to join us maybe during Advent or maybe for a longer period. A little bit of an invite from yourself? Yeah, yes, John. It, it, it would be a beautiful Advent thing to do. You know, um, Lexio Divina, like, is, uh, you know, is not something I invented, I can tell you. Um, it was, for the first thousand years in the life of the church, it was the favoured way of reading the scriptures. And the whole trust of it is, is to kind of uh, make the connection between the Word of God and our daily lives. That's the whole trust of uh, of Lexio Divina, and I, an image you'll often you'll have heard me using a good few times uh, there, uh, John. And, well, first of all, I, I I usually alert, warn ourselves to resist the temptation to see some challenging piece of scripture as someone else would want to hear that. It's it's Lexio Divina is all about ourselves, and the image I've used there is allowing the. Allowing the word of God that's in the passage in front of us to to be a searchlight over our lives, to shine that, to place our lives under the scrutiny. Let that gospel passage that we're looking at, let that scrutinize my life and see what does it show up, you know. But there's no doubt in the world like it is. Um, uh, Pope Benedict uh, said uh, about 10 years ago, that um, he sees the, the renewed interest in Lexio Divina, which was there for the first thousand years of the church, uh, that he sees that uh, heralding what he called a whole new springtime in the church. I firmly believe that. The Word of God is what we must turn to now. The, um, we don't know where we're going. Um, it's it's uh, you know, a time, an uncertain time in the life of the church, but God does know and he has spoken. He'd have nothing new to say if he came today. He'd say, I've already said it's in the book. Just to finish off that, just to add something to that, and and this is the first line of this week's Gospel, because you often mention to us who do attend Lecture Divina, hmm. maybe chew on something, maybe take away something, see yes, what strikes sir. you. The thing that struck me this week, and the first sentence was, Jesus said to his disciples, but I substituted that. Jesus said to me. Exactly. That's precisely and if I can go there, uh-oh, I'm seeing this in a different light now. Oh, yeah. I'm not seeing all the other guys. And we can all shoot all the other people. Yeah. It's not about them. And suddenly the gospel moves from being a document to a thousand years old to something that's very real and very relevant to me today. And it's both encouraging and challenging. That's, right. but that's what it's all about. Absolutely. Yeah. Frank, thanks for it. So just okay, to remind yeah. people again, it's 8.15, 9.15, Newcastle West Paris Centre every Monday night. Every Monday night, yeah. So at this part of the programme, thank you very much indeed, Father Frank, for, for, for helping us to prepare, to reflect on what, what, what Christmas is all about, maybe, maybe you know, certainly what Advent's all about. And we'll go out with, um, with a final piece of music. 
that uh, because of the response, the responsorial sign this morning, and I was just clicking up on that, and it, it states our responses. I rejoice when I heard them say, "Let us go to God's house." So this day we might go out with a final piece of music, and this one is by the Vard Sisters, and this is, says, "I rejoice when I heard them say." So until next week, which hopefully will be joined also by Trocra as well, and we got some Salesian sisters to join us too. And next week, from Father Frank and myself, God bless you all. Now, bye. God bless. Oh